Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring our regular guest, two-time World Series champion, former Giants reliever, George Contos. Gabe Kapler is not Bruce Bochy, so he's going to run things his way. And I'm sure with Farhan, they've had their discussions on what the best course of action is for the ball club. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Keynes Tire in San Rafael, the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Good morning, George. Thanks a lot for uh, joining us again here on Inside China Basin. I have to say, pre-happy birthday. I saw that your birthday is coming up, and I'm not going to be able to spend it with you. So, pretty happy birthday, and as a gift, the Giants have the best record in the National League two months into the season. Hard to believe. Well, good morning, Joe, and thank you. Uh, but, yeah, it is. It's a great, you know, I'll take it. That's a great present. Uh, they, um, I think some people with that first Dodgers series were like, oh, man, has it been for real? But I think ever since then, uh, they've, they've kind of kicked it into high gear, and, and I think the hype is now real, and we're, we're dealing with a team, and we have a team uh, that, that has a legitimate shot to make some noise. And it's really, it's really been fun to watch and watch them overcome that little kind of bit of adversity bump, bump in the road against the Dodgers that first time. Yeah, you know, it's funny. There's so many games, it's hard to really point at anything pivotal. But when you get swept at home by the Dodgers and then you lose the first game of that series in L.A. and you're sitting there 0-4 against the Dodgers, it's just looking grim as far as trying to compete in the division. But then you turn around and you win the next three and you win games that are started by Bueller, Urias, and Kershaw. I mean, that was it seemed pretty improbable, but it really made a statement, I thought. It did make a statement, and, and I think that, you know, the Dodger-Giants rivalry is, is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, in baseball. I'm clearly biased. Um, and I've played in the Yankees-Red Sox one as well. But, um, you know, I think to say the Giants' schedule was, was a little bit, I don't want to say easy, but they were playing some teams that they did what they were supposed to do in the first couple months of the season, and that really, uh, that first Dodger series, I think, was just very anticipated by a lot of people. And it was just a little bit of kind of a, a punch in the jaw with the outcome of it. And that could have made or, made or broken the guys' uh, kind of, you know, sentiment in the, in the clubhouse. Are we for real? And, you know, what's going on? And they've really responded well. They came out and they've gotten some of that timely hitting. We've, we spoke in the past about how good the rotation uh, had been and has been. And at some point, there were going to be some lags, and the, the guys aren't, aren't going to put up sub two ERAs or right around two the whole year. They're going to have those starts where they give up a couple runs. And when the offense kicks it into high gear is when this team will really start making some noise. And I think in the last about week, 10 days, that's really started to happen. And, and you can see how scary this team can be when they're firing on all cylinders. Well, the one starting pitcher who has not had a lull at all is Kevin Gosman. I mean, right now he looks like a Cy Young Award winner the way he's throwing the ball, 6-0 and with a 1.40 ERA. And now he was not involved in that first series against the Dodgers. I wonder if going forward Gabe Kapler makes sure that he gets the rotation in line that Gosman pitches against the Dodgers or the Padres just about every time. I mean, this guy, every time he goes out there right now, he's going to dominate the way he's throwing the ball. I, you know, I think I think what, what, if you take a guy by the name of uh, Degrom out of the equation, I think he's the guy who 
who really sticks out in the National League as a guy who's really done unbelievably well. His fastball and his split have been so good. He's been able to just mentally elevate his game and grind when he has to. So you can't really compliment the guy enough for how good of a season he's having so far. In my opinion, he's definitely up there uh, with one of the short few fingers of guys who are in the Cy Young conversation. Um, but as far as as far as far setting the rotation, I think we saw Doc on the Dodgers side kind of hold Bauer back um, to face the Giants. And I think because the Giants were playing so well, they were like, we need some firepower against these guys. I don't necessarily see that being the case with, with Cap and, and with uh, Bailey and you know, the front office with Farhan kind of doctoring the rotation as much. I think the Giants uh, and the staff have an unbelievable amount of confidence in any guy they're sending to the mound to start the game. So hopefully his starts fall on those days uh, where there, there are Giants games or Dodger games, excuse me. And more often than not, I think there will be with how many, you know, three and four game series they play against them and, and how many times you face them with the 19 times you face these guys during the season. So hopefully it works out that, you know, Gaussman and uh, Disco and, and uh, Wood face them as many times as possible. But I think that all kind of takes care of itself in their minds. Since you mentioned Bauer, uh, we haven't had a chance to talk since uh, all of the theatrics, the antics that occurred in San Francisco with Bauer. And then Dubon with a little payback with the sword <laughs> uh, issue uh, that maybe the Dodgers had with him because he, he made believe he was putting a sword in his holster after he had a home run in L.A. I mean, it's kind of fun in a way. But also, I wonder, uh, you know, how much does that agitate each side of the you know dugout clubhouse the, the players even talk about that kind of stuff uh that goes on between you know somebody like bauer and dubon well you know look i i came up my, my first major league day in the big leagues i was watching mariano rivera warm, warm up and go pitch in the big league in a big league game and i got to watch how he handled himself and you know that's what i was accustomed to when i came up in the game so i was not one of the guys that was an advocate for this, you know, showing emotion, doing whatever you want. I understand it's part of the game now, and I get it, and everyone will move forward and deal with it. Um, you know, with, with the Bauer thing, if you're going to dish it, you need to be able to take it. And I think after the game, after Dubon hit the homer and, and, and uh, you know, uh, put his sword back in, in its sheath, um, <laughs> you know, I think they asked Bauer about it, and I think the response he gave was a little hypocritical with, with he said, you know, you're barking up the wrong pitcher's tree or something. Um, which makes me think I hope Dubon does it again. And every single time after that, I hope he continues to make it his thing now because, you know, it, it, there's always a two-lane street in this thing. I, you know, I know he's uh, very high on confidence and he's just come off a Cy Young season and he's got unbelievable stuff and he's a great pitcher. Um, but, you know, if you're going to dish it, you got to be able to take it. And, and I'm, glad, I'm glad that Doobie did it. I hope more people uh, do it now because he's been the biggest advocate for letting the kids play and now the kids are playing, so don't act like you don't like it. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious, too, what, what you think, because you mentioned, you know, growing up in the game and being around Mariano Rivera, you know, total class act. And when you see hitters, uh, you know, have their reaction, their celebration, they might drop the bat and maybe watch the ball. And you recognize that, hey, things are a little bit different now. But how does that affect a pitcher on the mound? I mean, depending on how emotional you get and, I, you know, Madison Baumgartner, I mean, he used to really look at that kind of stuff. I mean, he would give up a home run. He would look at the hitter and he would get really upset about it. How do you feel about, you know, whether or not a pitcher should ignore sometimes what those hitters are doing? Well, you know, we're all individuals, right? We're all, we're all emotionally different. We're all competitively different on the mound. You know, going to some of my former teammates, since you brought up Mad Bum, 
you know, Matt Cain. Matt Cain was a guy who was as fierce a competitor as I've ever played with. But he was cool, calm, and collective on the mound. Didn't show much emotion. Um, but he wouldn't like that. He, he would not be afraid to, you know, pitch at 91-92. And if someone took a hack that he didn't like, or if someone, you know, pimped a homer the next at bat, you better believe he'd rear back for a 94-95 up in the zone and let you know that he didn't like it. You know, Bum was a little bit more, you know, vocal about it. At the same time, Bum was never going to show you up. Bum, if he, if he struck you out or whatever, he'd walk off the mound. And I think his expectation was guys, if they, if they clipped him, would just put their heads down and run. And clearly, as we've seen in some of the Dodger-Giants rivalries with, with Bum on the mound, with him and Muncie and him and Puig multiple times, um, with the Padres, him and Will Myers at one point, we were in San Diego when it happened. Um, I think everyone just, depending on you know how they were brought up in the game, what their personality like, emotion, emotion level on the mound, competitiveness, it's all different. You still have some of the guys that are a little old school that don't like that. But I think in general, in today's game, everyone is just content with the let the kids play attitude. And if that's, if that's fine, it just needs to be reciprocated on both sides. If, if a pitcher gives up a homer and, and a guy like Tim, Anders, Tim Anderson throws the bat because he's so excited towards his dugout and celebrates, don't be mad if you get a 95-mile-an-hour fastball under the chin afterwards and complain about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess sometimes there's a fine line as to whether or not you're showing up the pitcher. I mean, sometimes it's it's pretty obvious that you are. I remember you were talking about the Mad Bum uh, incident with Will Myers. I remember one of them. I mean, Myers, I think, swung and missed at a pitch and was mad at himself, kind of barked at himself. And Mad Bum didn't like that because he's, he's saying, oh, well, I should hit your pitches. You know, I, I guess there's kind of a fine line as to how sensitive some pitchers are. Yeah, again, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with guys who are highly competitive, who have a lot of testosterone, um, who are pitching, and this is their livelihood, right? There, there are guys in the box making millions, and there are guys on the mound making millions, and everyone's got a little bit of an ego. Everyone's got an edge. That's what makes everyone good. Um, and sometimes the tempers flare a little bit, and, you know, most of the time, 99.9% of the time, it ends up with nothing really happening. Guys just letting out a little bit of steam, but – um, you know, in those few incidents where it does get hot and heavy, sometimes you just got to let it out and, and you move on afterwards. If you're going to have a winning season, uh, there are going to be these highlights that really stand out. And the catch by Mike Talkman against the Dodgers to really save the day against Albert Pujols, to me that really stands out. I mean, that's one of the best catches I've seen. I think the best one I've ever seen on television was Andy Chavez for the Mets in the NLCS against the Cardinals 2012. And Albert Pujols was actually on that team. It was Scott Rowland who got robbed. I mean, he really went up in the air and over the fence to rob him of a home run. Can you recall some of the best catches that you've seen, George? Oh, gosh. Um, well, yes, actually. The, the best catch that I've ever seen live in person was Gregor Blanco keeping Matt Cain's perfect game intact. There you go. When he ran. I mean, I, you know, I watch that, and, and I, see, I see it on, on MLB Network when they do, uh, you know, some of those Legends games or, or whatever they call them, but some of the games from the past that are, that are incredible. And that game was on, and I watched it, and I'm just like, my jaw drops every time I watch it because it was just such an incredible, incredible just instinct and – will to catch the ball under those circumstances um you know as far as other catches that i've seen over the years just on tv i mean the mike trout catch in in baltimore was incredible uh you know the gary matthews jr where he climbed up the fence and spider-man it was an incredible <laughs> catch um you know mike talkman's was a fantastic catch in an unbelievable unbelievably crucial situation in the game does it go under under the 
the category of the best catches ever for me? No, but it was an unbelievable catch and arguably one of the best, I think, that we're going to have this season. Um, but, I mean, geez, Jim Edmonds comes to mind, those, those directly behind him catches that are just so unbelievably difficult because um, you got to time everything perfectly. Um, it was a great catch, Talkman's, but, I mean, when I, now that I'm just kind of rummaging through the memory bank, man, there, there have been some unbelievable catches over the years. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking Griffey, a lot of the ones that you, know, you see on television. Actually, Ken Griffey Sr. and Jr., I, I remember them making – Amazing catches. Uh, you know, I, I actually was fortunate. I was at the Sydney Olympics, and Team USA won the gold medal, and I was doing the radio play-by-play for Westwood One. Mike Neal made this diving catch that ended the gold medal game against Cuba, and the United States won the gold medal. And it was the clutch moment. You know, it was a great diving catch. I don't know if it's the best catch I've ever seen, but I, I think it has to do also with the, the moment itself. Some guys can really rise to the occasion in that moment, and uh, that, that makes it more thrilling, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, especially when when the when the, the the players have their tensions and emotions high, the fans, the energy, everyone watching, and when you do something that incredible, it just sticks in the forefront of people's minds, as opposed to doing it in the third inning of a six-two ball game, you know, in May. But the catch is the catch, and I agree, it, it does get elevated when there's more on the line. But some of these catches that that we've seen from guys are just so unbelievable. It's it's really incredible how how gifted some of these guys are to be able to, if you're dealing with a catch at the wall, you know, take the steps on the warning track. You see guys or you hear guys uh, when they go to different ballparks doing fly balls against the fences so they can see how quickly the fence approaches them once they hit the warning track because that's all a feel thing when you're keeping your eye on the ball. And then you see them in the game make these incredible plays. And it's, I don't think people realize how difficult it is and how much uh, judgment and feel goes into when to jump, where the fence is, how high you have to go. Really incredible. We'll have more with former Giants reliever George Contos, and we'll talk about the bullpen right after this. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415 453-2942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. All right, George, it's time to talk about the bullpen. And I know there's not a lot to complain about on this team. And I mean, when you look at the saves, the Giants have the most saves of any team in Major League Baseball with 21. But at the same time, I mean, I think a lot of people out there, me included, feel like they get a little scared when Gabe Kapler goes to the bullpen. Yeah, there are some reliable pitchers in there. Littell is definitely uh, materialized as a reliable pitcher right now. Uh, Barriger, before he went on the injured list, was outstanding. And Rodgers has really good stats, but sometimes he looks hittable. And he, he did give up the home run uh, and almost gave up that home run uh, that we were talking about with the Talkman catch. So this bullpen, as it stands right now, what are your thoughts about – you know, closing out games, McGee, you know, you would think he was going to be the closer, then he wasn't. Maybe he's going to be back in that role. It, it just seems a little unstable for a team that has the best record in the NL. Uh, that's still an area that seems to be the Achilles heel. You know, I, I just kind of 
<clears throat> recapping the, the games that we've seen recently, some of the runs that have been given up late are just are noticeable just because how cl- close of games that they play, you know, and this is how the Giants, when I was a part of that team, my six years, we played nail biters all the time. You know, there were very few and far between games, it seemed like, where we won by four or five runs. We were playing one or two run games. So when you give up runs in the sixth, seventh, or eighth, or ninth inning, they're just, they're in the forefront of your memory. Um, and, I, and I think to your point, you know, Latell has been great. I would love to see a little bit more consistency in the roles. I really personally am not a big fan of switching it up day by day for who throws the seventh, eighth, and ninth. I think that our strength um, in our championship teams was, hey, we got to get the ball to the seventh inning. You have some combination of Romo, Affel, Casilla, and, Ro- and Lopez. Um, and, that, and that was why I, was, I think I was so um, effective in my role was because right when I got there, Bruce Bochy started using me in that, in that fifth, sixth, occasionally seventh role. I was that bridge um, to, to, the, to those late-inning guys. And if I'd come in in the fifth inning or the sixth inning with guys on base and I, and I got out of it, then I'd go maybe the, the sixth or the seventh to get the ball uh, to Romo or, or Casilla or to Lopez at that point. But I think that when you have um, the role that you're going to pitch in in your mind and the situation starts to arise, I think you become a lot more mentally stable and, and there's, there's a lot more uh, confidence in, in the situation that you're going to be coming into the game in. Whereas now – it's like when the phone rings, everyone's looking at each other except McGee and Rogers potentially being like, who's it going to be? And I think that is a dicey game to play because guys don't prepare, in my opinion, as well when they don't know what situation they're going to be brought into. Um, I think, you know, has the bullpen been an Achilles heel? I don't know if it's been an Achilles heel because they still do have the best record in the major leagues. Um, and to your point, the most saved, I think um, – it's probably going to be an area that needs addressing at the trade deadline to maybe solidify it a little bit. But there are some guys with some great stuff that when they do come in the game and, and they're, they're on, on, on point, have their release points, getting ahead of hitters and throwing strikes, you have some guys with some really, really good stuff. Um, you know, so I, I really liked what I've seen out of Harlan Garcia. He's got some great stuff. He's pitched really well. Um, to your point, Tyler Rogers, I, I read a stat the other day that he – is the only pitcher in Major League Baseball that throws a pitch that actually rises, a breaking ball that actually <laughs> rises, um, which is incredible. And the reason why he's been so effective is because he's such a different look from what hitters see on a daily, on a daily, day-to-day basis. Um, and, and McGee, you know, if he gets his release point and he's throwing those fastballs up at the top of the zone, he's going to be successful so much more than he's not going to be successful. Sometimes, like that Albert Pujols home run the other day, you got to tip your cap. Sometimes, sometimes these guys are just good hitters. And when you're talking about a guy like that, who's top five hitters, arguably of all time, um, you know, you just got to tip your hat. But I, I think the, the bullpen is definitely, I think, an area that they're going to probably address at the trade deadline. Um, but the guys have been doing a good job. You know, lately they, there have been a couple little hiccups with, with um, you know, some homers late. But that happens, you know, to every bullpen. Every Even the best bullpen in the big leagues is, is – Having having those kind of hiccups in those games, so I'm not overly worried. I would see, um, I would imagine seeing that there will be some solidification of the bullpen in the coming probably six seven weeks. Um, but other than that, I, I do think they've been doing a pretty good job. When you talk about the roles, it's interesting, and I actually got this stat from my buddy Ethan Cooperson over at Stats Perform. He told me that McGee his ERA. In save opportunities, 2.03. Non-save situations, 
7.71. And we do see that quite a bit with closers who come in and it's a non-safe situation and they just don't pitch well. I mean, the, the game that he blew in Colorado, that was a four-run lead. It wasn't a safe situation. And then, you know, he blows up. And, and I guess the average fan might say, well, you're just pitching out there. But no, you're outside of your normal role. I guess that kind of takes you out of it a little bit mentally. You know, it, it what it does is, and I'm not saying that there's a, a a lack of focus because there's not, but but there's a difference in the adrenaline and the and and the 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 way that you approach those outings, just because of how accustomed you are to pitching in the role that you're pitching in. There were a couple times when when you know I've I've watched closers over the year. You know, Craig Kimbrell with the Cubs since I've I've no longer been playing. When he pitches in non non safe situations, it is a drastic difference than when he comes in in safe situations because he's locked in, he's mentally prepared, he knows what the situation is, he's been in it a million times. Same thing with Jake McGee. He he is a very very effective closer, and when you put him in an, in a situation that's outside of his element a little bit, and I don't mean that in a vague in a in a broad situation uh, in a broad scenario. I mean that just he's used to coming in under high pressure, high leverage situations to shut the door in the ninth inning. When you take him out of that, there's a little bit less adrenaline. There's a little bit less, I think, conviction on the pitches because, um, uh, gosh, it's so hard to, to explain because I, I, I know the feeling from being out on the mound and then trying to convey it is just a little different. But, you know, it's, it's the, the focus is there, but the, the intent, everything, it's, like, it's almost like you're lacking that extra gear that you have when you're in that save situation is probably the best way that I can explain it. All right, as far as the offense, uh, the home runs, it's just incredible. When you think about a team that plays at Oracle Park, being second in the major leagues right now behind Atlanta with 78 home runs, it seems implausible. But this team is hitting home runs, and there is a lot of progress right now, George, as far as these hitters. I mean, you look at Dubon, Duggar, who's been on fire, Wade, who's been a nice contributor lately, and then the veteran guys like Posey, Longoria, Crawford, playing like all-stars. I think you got to give some credit now to the hitting coaches, and there are quite a few of them. I think they have three hitting coaches, which I thought that would be a problem. You got so many people feeding you information, but instead, I mean, this is really working out so far. So uh, I was covering the, the post game, and uh, the last time I was doing it, and we interviewed uh, Duggar and we interviewed Dubon, and both of them said something very interesting and then when you go back and you watch the replays you can literally see it on where the pitches are but they're just trying to stay more disciplined and swinging at pitches that are in the zone and chasing less and when you have that discipline you literally make the strike zone so much smaller because you're looking for a a a pitch in a very certain area and they've really bought into this philosophy and when you watch where these pitches are that these guys are hitting out they're all mistake pitches. They're breaking balls that stay middle. They're fastballs that stay middle or middle elevated. They're not down at the bottom of the zone or on the corners or at the top of the zone. They're hitting pitches hard that they should be hitting hard. And that's a credit to everybody involved. The, the hitting coaches for really drilling this into them, they're, for themselves, for actually buying into it, and then actually being able to go out there and execute it in the game. You know, all, all these home runs, you know, I use Crawford as an example because I, I really enjoy um, how he's kind of turned it on. But all, all of his home runs, you know, the, the home runs off of Heath Hembree that he hit in, uh, against Cincinnati and, and the home runs he's been hitting, they're all mistake pitches. 
and he's been doing a great job of not missing the mistakes when he's when he's uh, thrown them, and that's by really shrinking your zone, not going outside of where you feel comfortable taking a good, powerful uh, swing at the ball. I think it's pretty amazing, too, when you think about these different coaches that haven't played in the major leagues. So, you know, the respect factor, if you've got a coach, like let's say it's, you know, Don Baylor, who's your hitting coach, and, you know, everybody knows what a great major league career he had, and he's your hitting coach, you're so attentive. But when you have coaches that haven't played in the major leagues, it's a little different. These guys are more, you know, well-read about hitting. They didn't experience it as much, but that doesn't always mean that they can't be a great coach. And the young guys taking to it, but also the veterans. Like we've seen Buster Posey, and Brandon Crawford changing their stances, their approach a little bit. Uh, to me, that's one of the ma- amazing stories of the season so far is that those hitters were willing to do that. Well, yeah. I mean, look, these, these hitters, they, they want to get – the name of the game is getting better or, or staying consistent to the level that you're, that you're accustomed to playing to. Um, and anybody that can help, the ears should always be open. I, that's one of the reasons why I had success when I was playing is I always wanted to learn. I always wanted more information because more information allowed me to try different things and whatever was working, I would keep and whatever didn't work, I would throw out and, and you know, you delete it from the memory bank. Um, but that's, I think how you, you have growth and that's what these guys have been able to do. And you're right. It, it is a credit to everybody who's involved. Um, but it's, you know, the, the game has changed. Look at, look at the St. Louis Cardinals manager, Mike Schilt. I, I, I think that's his name, right? Mike Schilt is how you pronounce his last name. Um, you know, he, he went from coaching high school ball and now he's managing the St. Louis Cardinals, the 11-time, you know, world, world champion St. Louis Cardinals. So if you have the, the tools and the, um, the ability to, to communicate to players, old school and new school, I mean, I think that's just the best recipe for success. Yeah, Mike Schultz, yeah, he's doing a great job with the Cardinals. You know, the, the thing that's going to be interesting with this team, George, too, is uh, here's another stat I got from Stats Perform. Since 1969, the Giants have led the division on June the 1st 11 times, but they only went on to win the division four times. And the last time was 2003. Those World Series teams were not winners of the division. The you know, so the West is not going to be easy to win this year, you know, to try to, to pull that off. And it hasn't been easy in past years. When you get to June 1st, there's so much work still to be done. Oh, yeah. I mean, geez, we're, we're sitting here at June 1st. There's still four months of baseball to play, and a, lot, and a lot can happen in four months. A lot can happen in that last month. I mean, you know, the, the Giants of 2010 were, what, five games out um, in the last, two weeks of the season and they so, came yeah. back overcome it, something like that. So, you know, I, I, I would always joke and say that, you know, you play a hundred and, 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 you know, 55 or 150 games. And it always seems to happen that the last week or two of the season really, really makes a huge difference. That's when baseball really starts. Obviously that's not true, but you got to keep, keep the, uh, the, the, uh, the blinders on and, and keep the focus as to what the task at hand is which is getting better every day, coming and trying to play good baseball every day, and just try to tone out the noise. Because what's going to happen is these, these Giants are going to at some point lose three or four in a row, and it's all about how you respond from that. You can't just continue to go on, you know, ten, eight of winning eight of ten or 11 of 12. That would be unbelievable to do. It's just not realistic. So it's just how you res- respond to adversity and manage that good um, energy that you've created when you win. And, if they can continue to do that with the recipe that they're, 
they're building right now with their solid starting pitching and their very timely and uh, very good hitting as of late. I think that they just uh, need to stay this course, and we'll see them back in October. All right, the Chicago Cubs are coming to town for a big four-game series, uh, and we know how exciting that is for you. Uh, this series will start on Thursday because you, you live in Chicago. You're from Chicago, and I can only imagine the emotions that, that go through you when you see the Giants playing the Cubs, You know, a team that you rooted for as a kid. And I looked up some stats. You, you were 2-0 and with a 1.69 ERA against your boyhood team. Wow, 14 appearances. So uh, you really had it together. I, I can imagine the adrenaline against them was pretty good. Oh, my goodness. I can't even – I didn't know exactly what the numbers were. I knew that I did have fairly good numbers against the Cubs. Um, I, I think I want to say I only gave up two runs. One of them was a solo shot to Anthony Rizzo, my first ever appearance at Wrigley Field. <laughs> and Rizzo's a friend of mine. I was actually golfing with him uh, on one of their off days just uh, uh, last week. But um, it's – for me, playing against the Cubs, I grew up a Cubs fan, obviously. I grew up on the north side of Chicago. And um, going back to play them, it was it was always very um, emotional and, and had a ton of adrenaline for me because, you know, I grew up 10 minutes north of Wrigley Field. So when I came back to play against the Cubs, I wasn't only playing for, you know, myself and the team and San Francisco Giants or, or the Pirates when I was with the Pirates. Um but I was playing for the people in the stands that I have known my whole life, for, for teachers who, who I had had in, in middle school and grade school and high school um, who would come to the games and they would say hello and, and they were there to support me. So um, there, there were so many people and so much emotion when I went to play the Cubs, especially at Wrigley, that I always felt like I had my best stuff. I had my best focus. Um, you know, and I think one of the runs and, and, uh, that I gave up was, was that home run to Anthony Rizzo, and he'll tell you, hey, it's a home run, but it was on a wind-blown day. The wind was <laughs> jet howling out to right center field, and I threw him a backdoor slider in 2012, and he flared it up into center field, and I was like, okay, Angel Pagan, he's got it. He starts drifting back, drifting back, and then it goes right into the basket. And I look at him as he's rounding the bases, and I was like, are you kidding me? And he just had a big smile on his face. <laughs> Um, but that is the only hit he's ever gotten off me. I, I want to say he's one for six with that homer. Um, I think, you know, three or four strikeouts and, and a ground ball or two. Um, but, yeah, it, it's all, it was always a, a lot of fun facing them, the team I grew up in. Now everybody asks me, who are you a fan of? And, you know, I say I'm a fan of baseball and obviously the Giants because that's where the majority of my major league career and success had come. So, um, everyone's like, you don't root for the Cubs anymore. I'm like, no, not really. You know, the eight year, the eight year old inside of me still does. I still, you know, love, love driving by Wrigley and seeing it and, and remembering all the good times that I've had there growing up. But, um, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot of fun, you know, two, two major, major franchises whenever we play each other. Uh, it, it's always a lot of fun, a lot of history there. And it's, uh, it's always a, usually a hard fought battle. Yeah. I'm curious about the difference and maybe even your approach, or, you know, the way you just look at it when you're facing somebody that you like who's in the box, who's, you know, a friend, and how much fun that might be or how difficult that might be compared to if you're facing a guy you really don't like who's in the box. I mean, you got to be competitive no matter what, but I'm, I'm curious about the contrast there. Oh, gosh, I'll tell you, you know, it, it's always a lot of fun facing guys that you're friends with because when, when I'm on the mound and they're in the box, we're, we're for, for however many pitches it lasts, we're no longer we're no longer friends right now. I'm trying to get you out. You're trying to get get a hit off of me. 
you know, facing guys like Rizzo, who I face a lot, you know, Jason Kipnis is a buddy of mine who we grew up together here. Um, you know, facing him is, is always fun. Um, but I'll tell you, facing, facing the guys like, you know, Crawford I face, and he was the only teammate of mine that I've had for a long time that I faced in, in my outing um, against uh, the Giants when I was with the Pirates. And, I, and I, I hit him in the toe with a cutter down and in. I think I remember that, his, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he didn't move his foot. And he was taking off his shin guard, and he turned his head as he was down there taking it off, looked at me like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I was afterwards, I went over to the hotel, and I sat with, with him and Buster and, and Vogie and some of the guys that were there, Javi. And, um, you know, we, we were, it was all good banter and good fun afterwards. But it, it, there's always a ton of adrenaline. You're playing for pride, you know, because that's bragging rights for the other person, whoever loses that battle. Yeah, I mean, he's had some pretty good battles with his brother-in-law, Garrett Cole, when he was with oh, the yeah. Pirates, too, so that's always good. And, uh, yeah, by the way, to finish up, since you mentioned that, you know, think about uh, being on the mound and having a game face, and you, you just mentioned Vogie. That guy had the, the best game face of all. I, was he really like that when, when you were around him, when he was going to pitch that day? Uh, was, it, was it hard to, you know, even approach him? Did you guys stay away from him? Um, you know, so, yeah, Vogie, uh, Vogie. We all did, but Bogey took the seriousness of his start days just to a whole new level. I feel like he needed to just get in that zone and not have any distractions because it would take away from what he was trying to accomplish that day, which is execute pitches. And it worked for him because his career was, was fantastic, and he pitched for a long time, and he pitched at a very high level for a very long time. So, you know, everyone with their routine. You know, there was one commercial uh, that we had in, I want to say, 2012, where Vogie was sitting in our food room in the clubhouse and someone came in, he was eating a bowl of cereal. He just launched it against the wall on his start day. And I always would laugh because it was just such an egregious depiction of how serious Vogie was. He was serious and he was quiet. He'd sit in his locker, headphones on, didn't really crack a smile. You know, not many people said hi to him. I always would, you know, he's my friend. It's Vogie, you know, it's his day, but Hey, you know what? What's up, Vogie? And then you'd leave him alone until it was time to go. Um, but he was very, he was very serious and he took it very serious. And the results, um, you know, usually showed of, of how prepared and how serious he took it. Cause he had a fantastic career. Yeah, he absolutely did. All right, George. Hey, uh, pretty happy birthday. Like I said, enjoy that. And then I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks uh, after you turn another year older and we'll see how the giants do here in the next couple of weeks as they try to maintain the success that they've had and, and not get complacent. Yeah, they, they definitely won't. Thanks a lot, Joe, and I appreciate the birthday wishes. That's former Giants relief pitcher George Contos. Join us again next week for another edition of Inside China Basin. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.